All right, we are back. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna finish up today's show with some again miscellaneous items that I think will be of interest to you, the public affairs listening audience here at KDVS. Here's an item I've been sitting on that <laughs> I wasn't sure where to insert. Let's insert it here. This is an article that appeared in the Washington Post by David Siegel. Uh, you may have noticed that last month marked the 40th anniversary of the Beatles' first appearance on the Ed Sullivan program. Uh, Ed Sullivan was way before the time of the typical UCD student. Um, was very very big in the 1950s and 60s. Pretty much, if you were, uh, no matter which age you were, on Sunday night, there's an excellent chance you were watching Ed Sullivan's TV show. The Beatles made several appearances on it. They recently issued, I think, a DVD set uh, of. That, cont- that contains all of the Beatles' appearances on Ed Sullivan. And this Washington Post article is sort of a bit of a good news, bad news joke. I mean, the good news was the Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan. They were a smash. The nation went wild. The bad news was Charlie Brill and Mitzi McCall were a comedy team hoping for overnight stardom who happened to appear on the Ed Sullivan show also on February 9th, 1964. And... Um, these many years later, Mr. Brill and Ms. McCall are not Beatle fans. As they described it, it was a nightmare. They were totally upstaged. Quote, we just about wanted to kill ourselves. Before the show, while they were frantically rehearsing, John Lennon stopped by their dressing room and drew a, scre- and drew a sketch of Brill. I thought, what a pretentious guy, and threw it out, Brill says. When the comedians went on the air, their routine about a Hollywood producer doing a casting interview was met with an eerie silence as the impatient audience of teenage girls squirmed in their seats. They cared only about seeing the British mop tops. It was an out-of-body experience, Brill says. I know we were on stage, and I know we were doing something, but that was it. Having flopped in front of 73 million viewers... Brill and McCall didn't hear from their agent for six months. Not long after the show, the depressed couple were walking along a street in Miami when a limousine pulled up. To their horror, it was the Beatles. Lennon rolled down the window, Brill recalls, and said, What are you doing here? We said, Escaping from you. You know you should be All right, here's an item that I just love. Los Angeles Times, 31104. Report asks if Bunker Buster, simply a study. Washington. A report by a nonpartisan congressional research group says the sharp increases in the proposed budget to build a, quote, Bunker Buster nuclear bomb raised questions about whether the controversial program is only a study, as U.S. officials have contended. Last year, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld said the effort was a study. It is nothing more and nothing less. But a report from the Congressional Research Service said the five-year, $485 million budget proposal seems to cast serious doubts on assertion that the robust nuclear earth penetrator is only a study. The budget is $7.5 million currently, $27.6 uh, next year. 128 million fiscal 2008, 88 million in fiscal year 2009. Now I know why we're almost a, a trillion dollars in debt. We're building 
bunker busters. There's much talk about possible uh, fraud in the upcoming uh, 2004 election. And um, on election day last week, I guess in Yolo County, voters were choosing their candidates by punching out perforated holes in paper punch card ballots, like the famous, uh, you know, chads in Florida. Uh, Sacramento County decided that, um, I guess as part of the Help America Vote Act, they were going to change over from these terrible, terrible system that had only worked perfectly everywhere in the world, except where your brother is trying to steal the election, and replaced it with this, where you where you basically marked the ballot. Now, I went in there. I don't know how this was in YOLO. I imagine it worked fine, punching your ballot as you always have. In Sacramento County, last Tuesday, I had to walk in, get a cart. Instead of slipping it into the... Uh, the little box that would lock it into place so you could flip it over and punch out. You had to actually go through, scan down, find the little bubble, mark it in with a pen, and hand it over. It actually took longer to do. And um, I question the accuracy. There's an awful lot of little, little small boxes. You know, for the elderly voter, I can see this could be a bit of a problem. I noticed last night uh, on the news that basically there now is a bipartisan uh, support for invalidating some of these optical scan systems and these voting machines uh, that are going to basically, uh, particularly these touch screens, these touch screen systems where you go in, you know, literally touch a screen what your vote is going to be, and um, you're just going to take you're going to take the word of the company that's tallying your vote. There's no way to go back and check it. There's uh, there is pending legislation that's going to make it mandatory that everybody gets paper slips, but I don't believe that is currently the case in all jurisdictions in the country. It certainly needs to be. I think I should point out for the listening audience, too, that uh, you know I've been doing a lot of bashing here uh, of, of the GOP, and I think that they're richly deserving of same. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I don't really consider myself to be a, a Democrat by any stretch. Uh, I'm sort of I'm in that decline to state, which allows me to is my voter registration, which is something you should consider. If you don't feel good about belonging to either party, you can put decline to state on election day, walk in, and be handed the ballot of your choice. However, um, the parties get to decide whether they will honor your vote or not. Last Tuesday, the Republicans were not going to count the votes uh, for various Republican offices of people who came in under a decline to state that says, I want to vote Republican. The Democrats, however, did allow you to do so. So, you know, the parties still have an incredible amount of, of, uh, of power. I think Ralph Nader is right when he says that uh, there's too much corruption. It's, you know, corporations and special interests that are buying off politicians of both stripe. And uh, we should again point out that, you know, John Kerry, Yale, Skull and Bones, class of 66, George W. Bush, Yale, Skull and Bones, class of 68. <laughs> uh, is an issue we need to come back to. I would point out that certain allegiances are probably more fundamental to uh, a politician's character than which party he chooses to run under. Uh, you should note that um, Senator Jay Rockefeller of West Virginia runs as a Democrat because to run as a Republican would seem a little bit elitist in West Virginia. And I believe that uh, was his great uncle, whatever, Winthrop Rockefeller, I believe he was a Democratic governor of Arkansas because if you were a Republican, you didn't get elected governor of Arkansas back in the 1960s. But what do you think is more important? <laughs> Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or a Rockefeller in terms of how you look at the world. 
I should note as an aside, when I was a little kid, I did shake hands with Nelson Rockefeller when he was running uh, in the last California primary that meant anything. And uh, my parents were big Rockefeller Republicans. So, uh, you know, compared to some of these neocons running amok in the country right now, you know, good old Rocky uh, looks pretty good in retrospect. And uh, speaking of neocons running amok, here's another item. We're just we're, cu- we're just pulling a lot of miscellaneous items today, but what the heck? It's a fill-in show. New York Times, Douglas Jail, J-E-H-L. U.S. still pays Chalabi Group for intelligence. The Pentagon is paying $340,000 a month to the Iraqi pol- political organization led by Ahmad Chalabi, a member of the interim Iraqi government who has close ties to the Bush administration. This was paid for intelligence collection about Iraq. This classified program is continuing despite internal government reviews that have found much of the information supplied by Chalabi's group before the U.S. invasion last year to have been useless, misleading, or even fabricated. And on a 60 Minutes last Sunday, Chalabi defended the quality of information provided by his group and did not acknowledge personal responsibility for the incorrect information. Uh, as you might recall, that inf- incorrect information included allegations that there were weapons of mass destruction and that Saddam was three years away from building a nuclear bomb back in 1991. This is uh, my opinion. I don't know what Steve's opinion is, but uh, in my opinion, you know... As unenthusiastic as one may be about Senator John Kerry of Massachusetts, I feel that he's really needs to be supported. He apparently was caught in an open mic recently saying that the Republicans attacking him were the most crooked, you know, lying group I've ever seen, triggering angry denunciations from Bush's campaign. Well, you know, the gloves are off. They're going after him. They're going to be, a, it's going to be a very, very dirty campaign. If you remember back, uh, what they did to Michael Dukakis back in 1988, well, they're just itching to do the same to John Kerry, and I hope he stands up and slugs right back and calls a spade a spade because uh, it's going to be ugly. And uh, if someone advises him to get into a tank and wear an oversized helmet, I hope he doesn't do it. From the miscellaneous file, <laughs> apparently the chairman of Smith & Wesson resigned last week after after it was learned that he spent much of the 1950s and 1960s in prison for armed robbery. You just can't make something like that up. All I got to say is, I hope he was using a Smith & Wesson handgun and not some cheap Saturday Night Special when he was out committing his armed robbery. And apparently a Louisiana man called police to complain that after he had traded his microwave oven for crack cocaine, he got fake crack instead. To prove it, Joseph Bulo showed the deputy his crack pipe. He was arrested. All right, final item of the day. Who among us does not wish they could go through life and be able to detect deception better than we do? Have we not all regretted being lied to? Someone successfully pulling a fast one? Well, take note of the following. If you want to get the whole truth from someone, don't phone them. According to Cornell University researchers, people are more likely to lie on the phone than in any other situation, more so than in email, instant messages, or in person. 
Researchers asked 30 students to maintain a communications diary for a week. The subjects kept track of their conversations and email exchanges, and they confessed to how many fibs they told. Lies made up 14% of emails, 21% of instant messages, and 27% of face-to-face interactions, but a whopping 37% of phone calls. These results surprised the psychologists. They suspected emailers to be the biggest liars, reasoning that the detachment of writing would make prevarication easier. But it is apparently the fear of recorded emails coming back to haunt them that seems to keep emailers more honest. The researchers also found that many lies were spontaneous responses to unexpected questions, such as, do you like my dress? I would like to add a caveat to this final story for the day. If you're asked, does this dress make me look fat? I suggest to all of you that you must, in that circumstance, almost inevitably lie and do so convincingly. We've obtained a new intern for the radio station here at KDVS. He'll be here in spring quarter after he travels out from Yale University. Rutherford B. Hayes V will be assisting us in production. We're inviting him to speak here today after we found out that he's in Skull and Bones. So welcome to the station a few weeks early, Rutherford. Oh, call me forward. Delighted to be able to go west, as they say. Now, Kerry and Bush are Skull and Bones. Why do so many Skull and Bones Yaleys get into politics? You're asking a question that is a fair one, a question that begs for an answer. I'm here to tell you I will not rest until it is addressed. Okay, so why are Yaleys overrepresented in politics? Let me say this. We have obligations to do our best, to work together, to pull together, to strive to build a better society, and we do so strive. Great, but what's the deal with Skull and Bones? The what? The secret Yale society that you belong to, along with John Kerry, George Bush, and 800 other people. Oh, well, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> well, seriously, Ford, why are, so many, why are people so secretive about this group? Well, it is, after all, a secret society. By definition, a secret society should be secret. This isn't the Boy Scouts. This isn't the Moose Lodge or the Elks Club. Well, I'm, I'm not asking you to give up the secret handshake. And I'm not at liberty to say more. Can you even say the phrase, skull and bones? We at Yale are not afraid to speak out, Doug, to query in long, ringing phrases, those things that need to be queried. And I promise you this is not a tradition I will abandon. No? Not today. Not tomorrow. Not ever. Does everyone talk like this at Yale? If you're asking me, do we put forth without fear... What the public wants to know, I believe I can say, yes, absolutely. I'm getting a headache. And if I may, I would like to promise now that when I am your station intern, we will see a new dawn of cooperation between two fine institutions of education. That's great, Ford. Uh, You know, one problem that we have around here, no writing paper. We're looking forward to you coming here and tackling that problem. Paper will not be scarce with Ford Hayes working for you, no, sir. I swear that every DJ in your station will have both paper and pencil at the ready. Anytime he seeks it, anytime he needs it. Is there a class on how to talk like this? To that, I would say the following. Well, well okay. I, Wait, let's just end it right there. Uh, Ford, we'll see you next quarter. Maybe we can get you open up about the whole skull and bones thing. Ooh, <laughs> I can't wait to get in a good polo match. Well, that's good, because we have quite a great equestrian center here at UC Davis, so we'll see you soon.
terrific. And might I say, uh, in closing, goodbye, Doug. All right, it appears we are out of time. This was fun. I hope it was fun for you. Uh, You should stay tuned tonight for um, the other public affairs program on on KDVS, which is named after a Talking Heads album, which will be Speaking in Tongues. This show was Stop Making Sense. I believe that uh, Maggie Katz can traditionally follow Steve uh, in this hour, and and, uh, and, uh, by God, she should do so again today. So Steve will be back next Friday in his usual slot here, 8.30 a.m., and we will hopefully have you join us at 5 o'clock Thursday for our program, Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and uh, that's about it, folks. We'll see you.